worship comes from the 29th Psalm, Psalm 29, the Psalm in which we are reminded that there is no creature, no matter how high his station in life may be, who ought not to acknowledge his dependence upon God and give him praise. So in this Psalm, we acknowledge that he deserves our praise, and then we acknowledge why he deserves it, as he is the one who sits on the throne, who is above us, who gives us strength, and who gives us peace. We will sing this together to the tune of We Gather Together, which is in the Trinity, on 286, if you want to see the music. But I ask that you stand with me now, and let us call one another to worship with the singing of this song. Now take your hymns of grace, turning over to 256. It's a carol that I think most of us are familiar with, but I'm not sure we've sung it before. So I'll ask Rachel to play all the way through it, and then we will sing it together.
Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for another day that we can come gather together and worship you. And to thank you and to think of all the great things that you have done for us and on our behalf that we are incapable of doing. Uh, During the season and even today as we look at the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ, may we relish and rejoice in the promise fulfilled by his coming. May we always remember the reason for his coming, and that was to save sinners like us. We pray, Lord, for those who aren't able to be with us here today, that you would give them peace and make them whole and allow them to be with us again soon. Be with Pastor and give him strength and courage uh, to speak the truth as we open up your word. And it's for these things we ask and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now take your Trinity hymn books, turning to 168. 168, hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king.
Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I, I won't say any of you, I have a tendency of getting an attitude of mundaneness during this time of year um, with all the things that come up during this time of year. Um, And sometimes I think that I can even do that with the story of Christ's birth. It comes up, so it's sort of a traditional thing. Sometimes we get that traditional feeling. and um, So this morning I've I'm mainly encouraging myself, but hopefully some of you, to put this into perspective of even the first promise that we were given in the very beginning in Genesis 3, that a son would be born and he would come and defeat our enemy and crush his head, and that um, that is the reason why he came. It is not simply so that we could tell this story to our children around a tree, uh, before they rip presents apart. Um, but it is because of the greatest gift of all, uh, the forgiveness of our sin. So, if you'll read with me Luke chapter 2. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to register all the empire for taxes. This was the first registration taken when Cornelius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to his own town to be registered. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family line of David. He went to be registered with Mary who was promised in marriage to him and who was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now there were shepherds nearby living out in the field, keeping guard over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were absolutely terrified. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. Listen carefully, for I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all the people. Today your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a vast heavenly army appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. When the angels left them and went back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place that the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and located Mary and Joseph and found the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw him, they related what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were astonished at what the shepherds said. But Mary treasured up all these words, pondering in her heart what they might mean. So the shepherds returned, 
glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And everything was just as they had been told. Someone might ask, sheet and and was at prayer meeting on Wednesday. It is amazing. This little flock, it's not, when you read the letter, you would think there's like 300, 400 people in this church seeking to spread the gospel in all places, Pakistan. But this is a small little assembly that gathers together that has a heart to reach Pakistan with the gospel. So as we pray for them, we pray that they would be Continue to have those opportunities, but also pray for their safety in a land like Pakistan to spread the gospel comes sometimes at a cost that they know full well because they lost their pastor, one of their pastors, by martyrdom and because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven again. It's always a delight to read the account and the event in history of when you so loved the world that you sent your only begotten Son. And that Son was born of a virgin. And Father, we're thankful that it was in the fullness of time that you sent your, your Son in order that He might redeem for Himself a people And how thankful we are this morning to be numbered with that people who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who's been reconciled to you through the work of your Son, and that now we can even come boldly before the throne of grace because of his work and his death, burial, and resurrection. Yes, we're thankful that he came into the world, but how thankful we are that he came in the world to die, to experience that which every sinner deserves, yet he did not, and find himself under the wrath of God, and yet to conquer that last and great enemy called death on our behalf. And therefore, as our Lord was so raised from the dead, we have hope of that day of resurrection for each one of us, who have put their faith and trust in you. Father, we pray that the gospel would go forth around the world today. How thankful we are for the relationship that we have with that congregation there in Islamabad. Father, we pray that you'll continue to watch over them. We pray that they would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Be with Pastor Danielle as he seeks to shepherd that flock. May you bless his efforts. And then, Father, we think of the ministries that they have. We think of the literature ministry where they're printing biblical material and seeking to get it in the hands of other Pakistanians. We think of the book ministry where they desire to see good books in local churches where people again can read and grow in the things of God. We think of the family care that they host. Thank you for giving them that opportunity. We pray you'll bless the, the preaching of your word in camp so that families will grow together in their love for you. Father, we pray for the pastor's conference that they also host. Pray that you'll continue to, to bless that. Thank you for those men who gather together, who desire to hear the word of God, and may you give them hearts that desire to be obedient to that word, that even their congregations would benefit from those conferences. So we thank you for them. We pray that you would watch over them and keep them safe as they live in a land that is very hostile towards the things of God. Father, we would pray as well that you would be with those who aren't with us. We know that many are sick, and we pray that you would watch over them and heal them, we pray. We think especially of, of little Dixie, and we would ask that she would know of a quick recovery from having her tonsils taken out this week and have no more setbacks, even in days to come. But there are others, and Father, we just pray that you would watch over them. How we do rejoice in hearing of another little one that has been brought into the world. We rejoice with Ken and Janet and pray, Father, that they might have the great opportunity of seeing this little one come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Be with his parents and they, they diligently seek to bring him up in the fear and admonition of our Lord. Again, Father, we pray that you would draw near to us. We would acknowledge our dependence upon you. So even as the word goes forth, may the Spirit of God come and have dealings with us, we pray. As we ask these things in Christ's name, amen. Now before we come to open the Word of God, take your Trinity hymn books and turn to 152. 152, the Trinity hymn book, The Little Town of
Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. Micah is one of the minor prophets, so it's toward the end of the Old Testament. If you get back there with all those minor prophets, you will come across Amos, then Obadiah, and then Jonah, and then Micah, and then Nahum. They're all right there, sort of together. But Nahum chapter 5 this morning. Before we look at the passage, I just want to make mention again, or make mention, as most of you are no doubt familiar with, of the events that happen in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, several months after the birth of Christ, we have a visit of the Magi, which is translated the wise men. The wise men, in all likelihood, did not go to the stable or to the manger, no matter how it's depicted in various scenes. But the Magi came along months, months later, or a month later. These wise men came. These men were known as astrologers. They were students of the stars. Scripture never tells us how many wise men there were. Now, even though we sing, we three kings of Ori and I. Most people believe there were three kings because they brought three gifts. And thus, we sing about the three kings that came with the three gifts. We're told that these men came from the east. They would be men who were well-respected. Their roles in society covered both politics and religion. They no doubt would be men of some wealth, and we can conclude that because of even the gifts that they were bringing to Christ. Now, through their study of the stars, they are brought to Jerusalem. And they come there to worship the one born king of the Jews. And we read there in Matthew 2, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, the Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard their inquiry, the Bible says he was troubled. He didn't want another king. He wanted to rule. And the thought of another king troubled him. And so he asked his own chief priest and scribes this question. Where is the Messiah to be born. He asked his chief scribes and priests, Where is this child? And they answered, In Bethlehem 
of Judea. For this was what was written in the prophets. And who are they quoting? Who are the chief priests and the scribes quoting when they tell Herod, hey, he's going to be born in Bethlehem? And the answer to that question is, they are quoting Micah. Micah chapter 5. And it's this prophecy that I want us to look at together this morning. Follow as I read these first five verses. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughters of troops. They have laid seas against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be known among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me, to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. And then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain. Because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. Where is this one who's been born the king of the Jews to be found? In Bethlehem, so spoke the prophets. Now Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. And he preached to both the northern and the southern kingdoms. He, he preached and he was the mouthpiece for God 700 years before Christ would even come into the world. But he was God's mouthpiece to the children of Israel. And mostly, he was the mouthpiece of judgment because of their disobedience. And as we come to this section of his prophecy, we will note two things together. In the first verse, we see their desperate condition. And then in verses 2 through verse 5, we will notice the divine assurances. So we have the desperate condition and the divine assurances. One thing I hope, I pray, that we realize in making our way through the book of Deuteronomy is that when God gives instruction to the people of Israel as to how they're to live when they enter into the promised land, it is very clear. He's given them ten words, the ten commandments, and then Moses expands on those commandments, the various 
ways in which those commandments ought to be obeyed as they enter into the promised land. However, once they enter the promised land, the opposite takes place. And and their lives in that land is marked by rebellion and disobedience. And so the prophets of God often arrive upon a scene with a message of judgment. And Micah is no exception. Look look at chapter 1. Look at how this starts. Chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Hear, O people, all of you. Listen, O earth, and all it contains. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from His holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming forth from His place. And He will come down and tread on high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under Him. And the valleys will be split like wax before the fire, like water poured down a steep place. All this is for the rebellion of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. That's how he begins his prophecy. A word of judgment because of their disobedience rebellion, and their sin. Assyria is about ready to come down upon them and take them captive. They were threatening to destroy Jerusalem. And in particular, as you read through Micah, Micah not only goes after the sins of the children of Israel, but he also goes after the leadership. The leadership. Go to chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Micah, starting there at verse 9. Now hear this, heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and twist everything that is straight, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with violent injustices. Her leaders pronounce judgment for a bride. Her priests instruct for a price. And her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord saying, Is not the Lord in our midst? Calamity will not come upon us. You see, here they were, that the head of households weren't doing their responsibility. That the, the priest and, and the leaders in Jerusalem were taking bribes in order to perform their responsibilities. And yet the whole time they're saying, it's okay. Nothing's going to happen to us. We are God's people. He will take care of us. In fact, chapter 3 and verse 2, it even has a sadder statement because there it tells us they hate what is good and they love what is evil. They were leaders who loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 
And because of their response to God's instruction, there were consequences that they must now face. And Micah makes it clear that that God's people have every reason to be concerned. Verse 1 of chapter 5 tells us about their present condition. They are a land that, that has been seized by strong opposition. They, they were to come together and, and try to, to muster up some resistance to those that were about ready to attack. The, the picture in, in verse 1 is, is one of, of humiliation. Notice the wording there. With a rod, they will smite the judge or the king of Israel on the cheek. Here's what they're saying. Maybe you've seen those in a movie or something where where men are taken and their hands are tied behind their back and a couple big brawny soldiers are holding them and someone walks up to them and just slaps them. And they can't do nothing. Complete humiliation. That's the picture that we have given to us of the children of Israel at this time. Complete distress. The venerable judge of the land has become a whipping boy. And they stand back and they wonder, why is this happening? What happened? I thought we were God's people. I I thought there were certain promises given to us. And, And now we feel very much abandoned. It looks as though this great kingdom that has been promised is is not going to happen. It's not going to take place. But the next thing Micah says brings hope. And, And in the midst of deserved justice, because of their rebellion... There's a light of mercy that shines. In the midst of deserved justice, there's a light of mercy that shines. And notice how he starts. But. The the, the blessed but. But. You're in the midst of distress and complete helplessness. But, and then Micah begins to give his people hope. Hope of a different ruler. Hope of a different king. Hope of a future and a kingdom as he has promised. So then that leads us to these divine assurances. God gives mercy in the midst of humiliation. 
And starting in verse 2, we, we have God's reply. God, God was going to answer them in their distress. And He shows them mercy in four ways. And I want you to notice those with me this morning. He promises them a ruler. He promises them a ruler. Look at the end of verse 2. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. I'm going to give you a ruler. The one. The one that, that I'm sending. He is from me. This is my doing. And the first assurance that is given to us concerning this ruler is the assurance of the place. The place. Now here's something that's very unexpected. I'm going to send you a ruler. And that ruler is going to come from Bethlehem. Now, wait a minute. Did I, did I hear that right? Did, did you mean Jerusalem? Was, was, there, was there sort of a, a mistake a ruler is going to come from Jerusalem. That's the capital city. That's where... No, no. The ruler will come from Bethlehem. From Bethlehem. We read here, Bethlehem is too little to be among the clans of Judah. If you read Joshua, Joshua sets before us the clans of Judah. They're, they're listed there. All of them. Or not all of them, but many of the prominent ones. Many, many of them. But guess which one is never mentioned? Bethlehem. In, in our day and age, we would say they didn't even make it on the map. It was, it was like in the days when, when I lived in Clayton. And people would say, what do you live? I live in Clayton. Well, that's what I thought. But I can't find it. To which I'll, you can't find Clayton? As big as that city is? No, it, it's not even on a map. And, and that's Bethlehem. Bethlehem. It, it doesn't even make the top 100 of the clan of Judah when you read Joshua. It was, we would say, a very insignificant place. A very unlikely place. Matthew Henry said, it had nothing in worthy to have this honor placed upon them. It had nothing that would, that would call for such an honor to be stowed upon them. So God's reply is, in the midst of this mega crisis, I'm going to send a ruler, but the ruler is going to come from an insignificant place. And isn't that the way God often works? God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. 1 Corinthians 1.27 And of course, when we think of that, you know, which one of us don't know about the story about David and Goliath? Goliath comes out and 
taunts the children of Israel. Come on, bring somebody to take me on. Bring someone. And the men of Israel, I'm not taking that task on. I ain't doing it. And what happens? Who comes along? Who is it? It's a little shepherd boy. A little shepherd. I'll take him. And Saul is like, you? Really? Yeah. Okay. Since I have no one else willing to go. But here, put on my armor. And of course, it's sort of comical to try to imagine what it looked like for David to put on Saul's pieces of armor and trying to clang around. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, when my grandson comes to my house and he puts on my shoes and he goes flopping around and, and, and he's very clumsy in them. So David would be in the armor of Saul. Finally, he's like, I can't do it. He takes it off. And what does he take with him? A sling and stones. And God takes the weak things of this world to shame the strong. The weakest things of this world, the most insignificant things of this world in the strength of God can do mighty things. And so here is the assurance of a place. This ruler that I'm sending, he will come from Bethlehem. The second assurance that's given to us is the assurance of a presence. His presence. How will he come? Well, we're told here in the passage. Verse 3, Therefore, he will give them up until the time... When she who is in labor has born a child. The one is promised in verse 2 will come at the appointed time. There will be a season of silence, a season in which there's almost an abandonment. Where, where is this one? There'll be 400 years of silence and and still no child. But God says here, at the appointed time, He will come from a woman who is in labor. He'll be born like every other child is born goes back to Isaiah 7 and verse 14. For behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And here Micah assures them of that reality. He will make His presence known being born of a woman. So we have the assurance of His presence. And then thirdly, we have the assurance of His person or of a person. Who is He? Who is this one at the appointed time will will be born of a woman? Who is He? And, And Micah then gives us several words of description about this ruler. He says concerning Him, that He is 
from you, one who goes forth from me to rule over Israel. I have sent him to you. I will be the one who decides when he comes. He is also one who's described at the end of verse 2. Notice, his going forth are from long ago and from days of eternity. This one who is born of a woman who is in labor is one who has been for all eternity. What is he saying? He is God from all eternity to all eternity. This one who is born, who will be this ruler, is God in the flesh. That there was never a time in which he was not. And here, here Micah gives us this wonderful picture of the Messiah who was both man and God. He will be born of a woman, but his time is from long ago, from the days of eternity. Here's, here's, the, here's, here's what you're going to be looking for. You're going to be looking for one who is both God and man. Both God and man. And then Micah goes on to give us somewhat of a description of, of how this ruler will reign. What does the reign of this ruler look like? And he tells us here that, that he'll be a ruler that has children. He'll be putting together a family, a remnant of his own people. These who are his very own. I believe that's, that's what Micah is referring to here when he talks and, and says concerning them that they will... I'm trying to see where... Oh, yeah, at the end of verse 3. And when she who is in labor has borne a child, then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. I will gather together this remnant of people. There will be this, this new Israel, which will be mine. They are my family. That's how he will rule sort of as a father to his children. Remember Isaiah's prophecy? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. He will also rule, as we see here in the passage, as a shepherd. As a shepherd who cares for his sheep. Notice, when this Messiah comes, when this one comes, when this ruler arrives, he is not a tyrant. He, he is not a dictator. He is not an oppressor. He is not a bully. He's a shepherd. A shepherd who cares for his flock. He, he brings them, as it were, into the pen to care for them and to protect them. Look over at chapter 2. 
chapter 2. We have a description of this. Verse 12. I will surely assemble all of you, Jacob, and I will surely gather the remnant of Israel, and I will put them together like a sheep in the fold, like a flock in the midst of a pasture. They will be nosy, noisy with men. The breaker goes up before them. They break out and pass through the gate and go by it. So their king goes before them and the Lord at their head. He's, he's going to bring that, that, that shepherd who, who cares for his sheep. He protects them. What, what, what a wonderful description of this Messiah. But who exactly will make up his people? What will they be like? And Micah also gives us a reference to that. And it may not be what we think. Who do you think this ruler would choose to be his people and to shepherd? It's like we're playing a baseball game and I'm one of the captains. Who am I going to choose? Who is it that He will set His divine love upon and bring them into His family? Who are they? Look at chapter 4 of Micah. Chapter 4. Verse 6. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the rich, the powerful, the wealthy, the prominent. If that's what your Bible says, <laughs> you've got the wrong Bible. Because notice what he says. I will assemble the lame, and I will gather the outcast, even those I have afflicted. And I will make the lame a remnant, and the outcast a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on and forever. He says, I will gather myself a people, but it will be with the lame and the outcast, and I will make of them a great nation, and I will rule over them. When you read that, and then you start reading the New Testament, is it any wonder that some people will begin to say, well, where's this kingdom? What happened? Remember, remember John himself saying, hey, are you the Messiah? We look for another one. I, I thought when the Messiah came, he was going to rule over this nation, a great nation, and, and the wicked would be punished, but here I am in prison. And, and again, it, it's how we interpret the prophecy. It's, I've used the example before. It's, it's like the mountain range, and you see in the distance those, those mountaintops, and they look like they're all there together. It looks like they, they just form a line. But the closer you get, the more you realize, oh, this one's here, and then several miles, there's another one, and then there's another one over here. And, and that's sort of how the prophecy unfolds. It, at first, you read this and you think, oh, the Messiah will shut up, show up and set up His kingdom and, and, and rule over it. And, and you realize, no, yeah, He'll begin His kingdom when He comes. And, and there will be one day when... It will be a glorious end where He will reign and rule over His kingdom. 
but it's the already and not yet that we have set before us. You see, this one who comes, he comes to the lost to rescue them. He comes to the lost to rescue them and to be their shepherd and to be their guide. I was talking I was talking to Tricia last night and was just going over some of these things and and I told her that I'm going to put this passage in as a premarital counseling tool on what real leadership looks like. What real leadership looks like. He's a shepherd. He's a protector. He's a provider. He, he, he gathers his family in and watches over them. Here's the Messiah. John Calvin says this, Christ then rules not in his church as a dreaded tyrant who distresses his subjects with fear, He's not a ruler that rules over them and they're just so frightful and fearful of Him. But Calvin goes on. He's a shepherd who gently deals with His flock. I love that. I mean, we think of John Calvin. We think of this prudish Puritan. And and, and what a beautiful description he gives of a shepherd who's gentle and lowly of heart, who comes to sick, lame individuals and invites them to come to Him. To come to Him. John Calvin goes on to say, Nothing, therefore, can exceed the kindness and the gentleness of Christ towards the faithful as he performs the office of shepherd. He's my shepherd. He cares and loves me. And then Micah, Micah goes on because someone says, oh, well, you know, we've had other rulers rule over us who who were kind and good, but but look at where we've ended up and, and look at what has happened to us. And Micah said, oh, no, no, not with this one. Not with this ruler. Notice what he says there in chapter 5, in verse 4. And he will arise. He will stand. He, he will not be moved. The shepherd of his flock... In the strength of the Lord. In the strength of the Lord. He he will have all power to bring about this great kingdom over which He will rule over. It goes on to say, And in the majesty of the name of the Lord His God. He's a God who is God. He is the One who is God and therefore receives all glory and honor. And when this this shepherd shall appear, we will see the image 
of the visible God. Of the visible God. You that have seen me have seen the Father. And then he brings this sort of to a climax when he says to the people, and they will remain. There's security in him. He, he will not let you go. The, the shepherd is committed to keep and protect the sheep. And they will never perish. So here is the person, the assurance of this person. But that leads me then fourthly to the assurance of peace. The assurance of peace, because he says, this one will be our peace. The shepherd ruler is our peace. This one, this one who is eternal, this one who was born in Bethlehem, this one who's to be our ruler, and this one who rules as a shepherd, this is God in the flesh, and He is our peace. He, he provides peace over those that He rules. Even in the days of the greatest distress, God never allows His true people to enter despair. There's still hope. There is a peace. There's a peace in knowing this shepherd. Even as we mentioned last week, there's a peace in having a relationship with Him. There's a peace that comes in being justified through the work of Jesus Christ. There's a peace that we can have with God. A, peace, a wonderful peace that can only be known through knowing Him and Him alone. And so here we have this person. This person who in Genesis 3 we are told will crush the head of the servant. This person that we're told in Isaiah who will be recognized and identified as Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This One will be the ruler over His kingdom. And He will rule over them as a shepherd, caring and protecting and loving His people. This One is the One promised that would come. And in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. What, what, what is your relationship to this ruler? Can, can I take you back to Matthew 2 for a moment? When this ruler arrives in Bethlehem, born of a woman, if you read that passage, there are three responses to the news that the Messiah has been born in Bethlehem. Three responses. First of all, we might say that there's a response of indifference. Who's that by? 
Well, the chief priests and the scribes. Herod comes to them. Where, where is this one who, who's been born? King of the Jews. And just matter-of-factly, no big deal. He's, he's over in Bethlehem. How do we know? The prophets tell us. We know what the prophets say. We, we've heard this. And yet it has no, seemingly have no effect on them except knowledge. No relationship. And there are those who can set and hear the truth week after week and be indifferent to it. There, there are those who know the truth, but it doesn't affect their lives. Oh, yeah, I know what this is. Well, what's the chief end of man? Oh, I know that. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And then they go live their life any way they want. Why did Jesus Christ come into the world? Why did God send His Son into the world? To die. In order that He might take the punishment His people deserve. People know that. But it has no effect upon their lives. In fact, they would far rather spend a lot of time talking about the birth of Jesus. It's Jesus' birthday. It's, it's the day Jesus was born. And not be so diligent in considering that He died on a cross to save His people from their sins. So, so there was a response of indifference. And, and maybe there's someone sitting here this, this morning and, and that's your response to the truth. You're sort of indifferent to it. No big. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. Whatever will be, will be. And then there's the response of complete opposition. Who's that? Herod. Where is he that's born king of the Jews? He's in Bethlehem. And, and Herod is troubled. Why? Because I don't want any other ruler. I want to rule my own life. I, I want to be the ruler over all things. I want to be a God unto myself. And perhaps there are some who sit here and say the same thing. I, I don't want this Jesus to rule over my life. I want to be free to do whatever I want to do and act the way I want to act. I will not have anyone rule over me. I'll determine. Well, that determination will come to an end by and by. And one day you will, you will bow your knee to King Jesus. For every tongue will confess that He is Lord one day. But for some it will be too late. So, so there's a response of indifference. There's a response of opposition but there's another response, and that's a, a response of worship, of, 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 of acknowledging who Jesus Christ is and bowing their knee to King Jesus and acknowledging that, that He is God in the flesh and that He has come into this world for a purpose, to give His life a ransom for many. And many of us here this morning have done that. We've, we've acknowledged who He really is and that He is Lord over our lives. And now we want to live for Him. So as we bring our time to a close, I would simply ask, what is, what is your response to this one who Micah says will come as a ruler to rule over His people? What's your response? Is He your ruler?
Is He your Lord? Do you live for Him? May God help us to honestly assess our own response to that one born King of the Jews. Let's pray. So, Father, we do give You thanks for giving us this time to look into the Word of God. And Father, we're thankful for the One You promised to send into the world. We thank You that He has come not to call the wise or the mighty, but He's come to call the foolish, the lame. And Father, we're thankful that we're numbered with them. Left to ourselves, there's nothing good found in us. But how thankful we are that You've brought us unto Yourself and You've given us a peace, a peace that passes all understanding. We thank You that You, you have so worked in our hearts and lives that, that we acknowledge that He is Lord. And for those who may be here who do not know You, their response is not one to bow their knee before You, but their one is to stand defiant. May even today be the day of salvation. May You open their heart to see their need of such a Savior, of such a Messiah, of such a ruler. And then, Father, as we close our time together, how thankful we are that You're a shepherd who loves us, cares for us, protects us. We bless You that You are gentle and lowly of heart so that we can come before You without fear of being turned away. How we bless You for these things. So take Your Word and may the Spirit of God use it in each of our lives to do us good as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, let us take our hymns of grace and turn to 251. 251, the birthday of a king. There was a day in which he was born in this world. and He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we acknowledge that. And so we will sing this hymn. I'm not sure we've ever sung this hymn here before, but I think you're familiar with it. So Rachel, if you'll play through, and then we will sing it together. The birthday of a king.
just a reminder that Michael Smith will be here for the afternoon service. Dan, stay for lunch. Enjoy each other's fellowship. You are dismissed.